0: The sleeper and the bust, there's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut, open file case shut. A shortstop or stop short. Press play or press support Intelligence for sports. Could of y'all to listen, aiming at what truth is. Mike give no pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting, who's missing? The sleeper and the bust. The sleeper and the bust.
1: Welcome to the inaugural edition of the sleeper and the bust. I'm Mike Pothorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. Today, we're talking debuts, early struggles, and hot starts. And tonight is a really exciting time in Cincinnati. We got Tony Singrani's debut, and he's facing off with shocking starter in Miami, Jose Fernandez, who's only 20 years old. He skipped AA. He skipped AAA. And he's been fantastic in his first couple of starts. Eno, what are you expecting for Tony Singrani's debut? He's probably only going to be up until Johnny Cueto uh, returns from his injury.
0: Yeah, I, I have no idea because the, the, the fascinating thing to me about this dude is that it's all about his fastball. Um, and I think, you know, the pitch effects data that we have is not a lot. Um, he pitched uh, five innings last year. But uh, it's only 92 miles an hour, and that jives with what I've heard in scouting reports. So you've got a 92 mile an hour fastball that he throws like 80 to 90 percent of the time, and yet somehow he gets all these swinging strikes. I mean, I have to admit, I need to watch him, and I know that it's about deception, but I, that I'm I'm definitely very suspicious of him.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating game to watch because. I mean, only a couple. I know Ross Detweiler throws his fastball a lot. He's a a lefty. He throws in the low 90s. So he might be uh, a similar style pitcher to Singrani, but, of course, Detweiler doesn't induce as many swinging strikes as Singrani has in the minors. Matt Thornton throws a ton of fastballs from the left side, but, of course, he's a reliever. So we don't really have a lot of comps to try to figure out exactly what to expect. You talked about the deception, and that's what I've read as well. So I'm thinking that early on... Singrani might be quite good, and and might be worth starting in even shallower leagues, getting a lot of strikeouts just because of the deceptive delivery, and hitters don't know what to expect. But long term, man, I I don't know. I mean, uh, for the most part, a starter, especially one that throws a fastball in the low 90s and not like mid to high 90s like David Price, he can't get by just throwing one pitch, a fastball all the time.
0: Yeah, I think it, at some point the hitters are going to figure it out and, and start to time it better. Um, and you know, it's just, I feel much more comfortable with a pitcher that gets his swinging strikes from the pitches that are supposed to elicit swinging strikes. I mean, the fastball is the basis of the game because it's the easiest to control and it, and it, and it gives you the most command within the zone. It's not, it's not the basis of the, it's not the main pitch in baseball because of its swinging strikes. So he's going to be very interesting. I do, I did I do think I made some sort of predictions today in my chat. of You know, it's going to be like a 2-1, 1-0 kind of game because the Marlins lineup is terrible. Um,
1: You're forgetting that the Marlins lineup has Justin Ruggiano in it. <laughs> well capable of hitting four home runs and four at-bats every single night at the plate. <laughs>
0: well, at least uh, for your sake, uh, they finally gave up on uh, on playing Chris Coughlin.
1: Well, don't say that too quickly because I fear that every night that... Ruggiano goes 0 for four that in the back of Mike Redmond's mind he's thinking Chris Coglin, Chris Coglin, I'm gonna bat him lead off. I'm excited. Because my I mean Gene Carlos Stanton is back tonight. So I'm very oh, curious to know. see what happens against a right hander. Because uh uh Singrani is a lefty and, and is always gonna be playing against lefties. But the next right hander, I'm I'm curious to see if Ruggiano stays in there. I'm uh Yeah,
0: I'll- I mean I think that uh you know, to your head that basically uh so far this season uh has played out like you said it would. His his Babip has regressed, um, but he's managing to to do other things um and provide value with his power and speed. I mean he's not he's not as extreme as a Justin Maxwell and people were talking about picking up Justin Maxwell, so um you know, I think uh I think Reggiano is definitely a, a roster rosterable player that uh you know that I would, I'd be happy to roster if if it made sense a little bit more in non-base percentage leagues.
1: Right. Okay. So so quick answer here. Singrani is he worth? He's probably already picked up in most leagues, even shallower leagues. But if not, if he's available in your twelve-team mixed league, do you pick him up and do you start him while he's up in to replace uh, Cueto?
0: Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think a little bit more likely in like a, a in head-to-head where you're you're kind of i think headed, when I think of headed, I think of sort of cycling and more movement and more waiver wire usage and just a more fluid roster in roto I want to build uh for the full season and I want to have the best players, and I don't necessarily want to drop a guy because he's struggling you know I want to keep guys on my bench while they're struggling so um I mean of course it' always comes down to who are are usually dropping but um in terms of, you know, would I be likely to pick him up? Yeah, head-to-head, definitely uh, love him in and head-to-head. And in Roto, you know, just depends on who you're dropping.
1: All right, I want to quickly talk about the opposition in Jose Fernandez. He's 20 years old. He hasn't pitched above the high A level. Uh, obviously, he's in the majors now, so now he has. But before that, he hadn't pitched above high A. And he's been fantastic through two starts. Uh, only one run in eleven innings, thirteen strikeouts. Did you pick him up in Tout Wars? I, I can't recall.
0: Jose Fernandez. Yeah, I I, uh, I dropped uh, I think like twenty three bucks on him.
1: Yeah. So you paid twenty three percent of your your fab budget on Fernandez. So clearly you like him. What are your thoughts on him now after seeing him in in two starts?
0: No, oh, I like him even more. Uh, the 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 thing that uh, that. The thing that I liked about and and sort of this goes to my strategy in these games and I, I I sort of messed it up in labor. I, I spent way too much on Maurer um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say how much I spent, but um, I spent too much on Maurer and that was partly because I had Erasmus Ramirez and I wanted to handcuff. But blah blah blah. My point is, I uh, I like to spend my FAAB because I spent I'm in too many leagues where I look around at the end of the season and there are guys with ninety dollars FAAB. And I just know that they spent a lot of time, you know, bidding five dollars on a guy who went for eleven, bidding six dollars on a guy who went for twenty-one. So, you know, go get the guys, and especially at the beginning of the season, these are the guys that are gonna help you all season. And there are there are helium starting pitcher guys. They're 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 guys with helium that, that show up at the beginning of the season and keep it all year. And if it's gonna be anybody, it's gonna be a guy that has a ninety-five mile an hour fastball, a filthy little slur. And a change up that people call a third pitch but looked awesome to me.
1: Yeah, actually, that was a good point about FAB going off on a little tangent here in that you definitely should spend more of your FAB budget early on in the season just because you're getting more of the stats of the players that you're picking up. I mean, you don't want to be left with 50 bucks in FAB heading into uh, August because there's just not going to be anybody that is going to provide enough value over two months. So definitely – You know, identify the guys that you want early on and spend your fab. Don't spend it all, obviously, because injuries are always going to occur and you're going to have to pick up replacements. But spend it early and often. But Jose Fernandez, I mean, the thing with Fernandez is is this is not supposed to happen. 20-year-old starting pitchers are not supposed to skip double-A and triple-A, come up to the majors and dominate. I can't remember any pitcher who has ever done this. It happens a lot where they skip double-A. But I have not seen anybody skip Double A and Triple A as long as I've been playing fantasy baseball. And oh, on, you him. have you have seen it. You just don't remember. It's Mike Leake. Oh my! Oh Mike Leake! Of course, how could I forget Mike Leake? <laughs> and he's actually facing uh, Jose Fernandez. Is facing the team that is employing Mike Leake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. and Mike Leake, of course, has been okay. He hasn't exactly been great. He's bounced back and forth in the rotation. So, uh, you know, he's an example of a guy who hasn't exactly worked out, but he doesn't have nearly the stuff that Fernandez does. But sticking with Fernandez, what surprises me is given his fastball and his stuff, his swinging strike percentage is only 7.3%, which is well below the league average. Obviously, it's early, so the sample size means that it's kind of meaningless, but I, I still would have expected, given his strikeout rate, I would have expected that he has induced a lot more swinging strikes than he has so far. So that's slight... Uh, concern. And he's still just a rookie. He's 20 years old. He's on a bad offense. So I'm still not positive he's going to have value in mixed leagues, in shallower mixed leagues all year. And only, yeah, obviously. But mixed leagues, I don't know. He might turn into a sell-high candidate very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, the one uh, one word about the swing strike thing, that it's worrisome and it's not. The reason that I think it's worrisome is that his secondary pitch is the slurve, And people sort of denigrate the slurve. It's, it's neither a slider or a curve. Uh, it has one of the highest platoon splits in baseball. Um, and it kind of has a, a lot of side-to-side movement that, um, you know, can take it out of the zone and, 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 and kind of might tip batters to the fact that it's coming and so they don't have to swing. But he combines it with great control. So what ended up happening, at least in the Mets game that I watched, was that uh, batters were like, oh, here comes the slurve! I'm not going to swing at it, and he he threw it like at their hips, and then it got into the strike zone, or it just nipped the outside corner, and so he has really good control of it, and he got a lot of looking strikes, and I know I'd much rather have swinging strikes, I've always said that, um, but uh, given how good his changeup is, I think that can, you know, I, I don't know, I, I guess people say it's inconsistent, and maybe I just missed the ones that weren't so good, but um the ones that I saw that were good were great and if he can and that, and those break the opposite way from his his slurve, so um I think he's got what it takes to to neutralize platoons um he can get ground balls he has great good control so um yeah I'm a big fan
1: All right well we got to move on now and and I want to talk about the Braves because they've obviously been you know one of the hottest teams in baseball perhaps the best team so far and they have a mixture of really scorching hot starts and very slow starts so the top two guys in the lineup right now BJ Upton and Jason Hayward are both off to some pretty slow starts between the two are you worried about either of these guys or are you sticking with your preseason guns and assume both will fully rebound over the rest of the season
0: um... well considering that uh... that BJ Upton has the the strikeout issue um, I'm always gonna I mean, we're not we're not talking about which do you prefer. Uh, we're talking about who's who's more likely to rebound or who's who's uh, who's who's fine and who's not. I would say that they're. I would say yes. I think they're both fine. But I'm always a little bit more worried about the guy who strikes out um, who strikes out more than a quarter of the time. Um, and the thing with uh, the, with Hayward, I think both of them have very interesting batted ball things going on. Where B.J. Upton is hitting too many infield fly balls and uh, Jason Hayward's hitting too many fly balls in general. The thing that's uh, interesting to me is that um, VJ Upton's infield fly balls uh, are terrible. Those are automatic outs. Hayward's fly balls are not necessarily terrible. I kind of always wanted him to hit more fly balls because he hit too many ground balls. He he was kind of like the Billy Butler uh, when he first came up where he was doing the 50% ground ball thing, and it was sapping some of his power. So I know that ground balls will sap some of his Babbitt, but I, I like the idea that um, he's going to have more power now because he's going to hit more fly balls.
1: Yeah, I'm completely in agreement here. I'm looking at Hayward's, all of his advanced metrics, his walk, his strikeout rates, his batted ball profile. And I think now I might be even more confident uh, in Hayward's outlook this year than Upton. And I think that Hayward makes for an ultimate by low. I mean, right now he's walking much more than he did last year. His strikeout rate is down. so He's making a a lot better contact than he did last year. He's hitting a ton of fly balls, which is obviously not good for his batting average. But it's great for his power. And and lots of people thought that this is a a 35 to 40 home run guy in his prime. But his fly ball rate really never allowed him to do that. If he's hitting fly balls at a rate of 40% or more then he may actually be able to hit that 35 home runs. And he's doing that right now, although he's probably hitting a a bit too many fly balls. So hitting in a two-hole in a fantastic lineup, he's going to steal bases. And obviously his batting average is going to come back up. I mean this is a guy who I think if you can get at any sort of a discount, I would be talking to his owner every single day, leaving him voicemails, texting him, telling him about every 0 for 4 that he has. (laughs) I want Howard uh, Hayward on my team. Upton, yeah, his,
0: his line drive rate isn't even
1: bad, dude. Yeah, everything looks good. Just a bit too many fly balls. But come on, a 111 BABIP that's obviously going to rebound. He's in a great lineup. Uh, Upton, I think, will be fine too. He's hitting way too many pop-ups. And yeah. It just looks like an early season struggle. I mean, we know that Upton has been prone to some long streaks of crappiness. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he's leading off. He's going to score a ton of runs. You know the steals will be there. So he should be fine as well. But, but Hayward, I think, could be in for a really, really big year, like 35 home runs. Yeah. Yeah, uh, speaking of really good year, Justin Upton. Over-under on uh, Justin Upton, 70 home runs.
0: <laughs> on pace for.
1: Yeah, he, I, I don't even know what he's on pace for, but he's got it <laughs> in five, uh, 54 at bat. So multiply that by 10. That's 80 home runs and 540 yeah. at bat. I don't. I don't know. I, I think it's kind of realistic for Justin. <laughs> he's right. a guy who showed up in my hit tracker study as being very unlucky last year. So I think he's got a double bonus here. Last year he was unlucky plus he was injured. So basically, what he's telling us now, he's not injured. He's no longer unlucky. So right. I rarely bump up a player's value this early from what I project preseason. Justin Upton, I am, because right now it's clear he's healthy, he's ready to rock, he's in a fantastic lineup, and he could easily set a new career high in home runs, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he hits 35 to 40.
0: Yeah, the fly ball rate's up, too. I guess it's in the water in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, I guess they figure, hey, if we already have a ton of power, might as well boost that even further and set a new major league team record in home runs, and it's obviously working so far. <laughs> But all right. Moving on, I'm I'm really curious right now. Evan Gaddis has been one of the biggest stories of the season so far. You know, he had some odd jobs, he was a janitor, and and now he's a starting catcher until Brian McCann returns and he's been amazing and he's been hitting cleanup. But what actually happens when Brian McCann returns? Because he's set to return in like two weeks, like by the end of the month. I mean is, yeah, is he getting Wally pipped? I don't think so. Uh
0: yeah, I'm so nervous about this one because, you know, there's such a, a lack of a track record with Gaddis that, um, you know, and the idea that this, this guy wasn't even really playing catcher at all in the minors and is now going to be the starting catcher for a major league team is crazy just with how hard catching is um, and the flaws that have showed up in his game from time to time, you know, lack of patience and stuff. But if he's a catcher, the bar for excellence at the, at the plate is so low that he could really be a star this year. Um, Of course, Brian McCann was a star for so long, you know, that you can't, and he has all the track record and he's going for, um, he's going for a contract. He's going to get out there. He's going to play. I don't necessarily believe in contract years in terms of performance just because, you know, pressing doesn't always help, but um, I do believe in, I have seen some studies on contract year and plate appearances because, um, I think if you're playing for a contract you 're more willing to go out there with a dick a dick a ding a ding or a Nick unless your um, name is J d drew <laughs> unless your name is JD Drew. Um, so I think that uh, I think that uh, it's this is really interesting i'm not willing to count out Gaddis as much as I was at the beginning of the season I, I definitely probably um, you know was a little bit dismissive of Gaddis at the
1: beginning. Well, yeah, I'm sure everybody was. I mean, this is crazy what he's doing right now because he's never played in AAA. He only had 182 at-bats at AA. He, his minor league career isn't very long. And yes, he was good, but this is nuts to think that this can continue. You have to assume that pitchers are eventually going to figure him out. His batted ball profile is strange. He's not hitting line drives at all. He's hitting uh, lots of fly balls and ground balls. And his bad bip is only two forty one. And it's just weird all around the whole situation, his entire story, the fact that he skipped triple A. So I mean I, I can't imagine that he wally pips uh McCann. McCann will certainly get his job back, but I can't imagine that uh Freddie Gonzalez is just gonna bench Gaddis. So I don't know. I, I believe he played in the outfield. Is that correct? He played in the outfield of the minors.
0: But Yeah, and I, and I was corrected. Um you know, that he hadn't actually taken I, I I put him in at first base some in the depth charts and I was corrected that he hadn't hadn't taken any reps at first base, but I mean he, he wasn't really a catcher and now he's a catcher. So I think that uh they could try to find him some space um at first, you well, know, and in the outfield, but uh what about some platoon opportunities for him. Yeah.
1: What about maybe Giving him some at bats versus lefties at first base and benching Freeman. I mean, I, I don't think that's a great move because Freeman isn't terrible against lefties. He in his career he's got a 320 Woba, which is which is not great obviously, but it's not terrible. It's not it doesn't require a platoon. But I feel like Freddie Gonzalez is gonna wanna get Gaddis in the lineup at some point and, and they're not gonna make him, you know, your standard second string catcher. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens when McCann gets back. I mean, McCann himself I'm a little concerned about because he's coming off of shoulder surgery and off of uh, a weak a year last year. I mean, the power was there last year. The batting average was not. So I don't even know what to expect from McCann himself.
0: There so, is, there is a, a horror show uh, possibility here because
1: uh, the, the team has, has platooned Hayward in the past. Oh, um, that is a, a good uh, point, Freddie Gonzalez. You never know. Wasn't it Jose Constanza who took away? Yeah, the bat? yeah. Like
0: probably the ugliest swing in baseball. So
1: yeah, so uh,
0: I could see, I could see. I, you know what? I could see it being sort of a Mike Napoli situation where he sneaks them into the lineup. Oh, they're also going to play a lot of DH um, since they're doing more in a league play. So true. Uh, I think he will I think he will probably find a way to get close to four hundred or five hundred plate appearances, um, which m- might mean. Uh, I mean, the way he's hitting now, it might mean almost 20 homers. So now you're talking about a catcher-eligible guy um, who might hit 20 homers, and that's always interesting.
1: Yeah, he might actually put up similar stats to Brian McCann himself. Right. So so maybe he's not a, a sell to somebody who's totally clueless about the Braves roster and McCann coming back after all, because maybe he can find his way into some at-bats, but it might be difficult. Anyway, we have to move on here. Uh, I want to talk about a guy that you were pretty big on in the preseason, Jared Parker, and his ERA is over 10 right now. I believe. Did you have a bold prediction for Parker uh, before the season started? Yeah, actually it was funny because that was a
0: repeat for me. I, uh, last year I, I had a bold prediction that Jared Parker would be the best uh, pitcher in the A's rotation, and uh, I got that one right. So I just thought, hey, let me do it again. <laughs> uh, um, it doesn't look like... <laughs> lightning is going to strike twice there not so far but uh i mean i guess what I, the reason i liked him um outside of a uh, a friend of a scouting friend of mine who just loves his change up, um was that he has swinging strikes and um and he has gas so those are two things i love and i usually i think that you know even our research on on first strike percentage and and sort of walk rate per- peripherals has suggested that you know if you if you, uh, if you can get people to reach and miss, then you can have slightly iffy control and still have a good walk rate. So I think that's a little bit of what, what happened last year is that people were reaching and missing. He had good gas. He was getting the strikes when he needed them. And despite having iffy fastball control, he was doing well. Now we're sort of discovering that it's not just iffy fastball control. It looks like like a real problem. So. He himself admitted it when I talked to him, and uh, he knows that he's having trouble with the fastball right now. And it all kind of comes back to that. Even his reduced use of the changeup is about the fact that they're sitting on the changeup, and they don't believe that he can can place the
1: fastball where he needs to put it. So, I mean, do you think this is a case where, I'm looking at the advanced metrics right now, I see a first strike percentage that's actually up from last year, a swinging strike rate that is... Barely down from last year, almost identical to last year. A contact percentage that's the same. A zone percentage is the same. His uh, pitch mix is very similar. He's throwing a couple more fastballs instead of change-ups. Same velocity. Everything looks the same ground ball rate. Everything looks the exact same, yet he's walked eight batters in 11 and two-thirds innings, only struck out four. So what are these advanced metrics missing? Is it just... Uh, a fluke in just randomness over a small sample? Or is this something that's going to show up in the advanced metrics later or, or what? Because right now the advanced metrics tell me he's the exact same pitcher as last year and that this has just been an early season fluke of randomness with the, the surface stats.
0: Well, I mean, there's also the possibility that he was a little bit lucky last year. But the, the um, I think the one thing that's hard is that I think there's some adjustment going on because I asked him about the first strike percentage, actually, because I basically heard you in my ear. (laughs) Um, And uh, and I I said to him, you know, first strike percentage is the is the thing that we found most correlated with with walk rate. Um, Have your have your, you know, your coaches ever told you to work on that? And he said, yeah, it's definitely something we think about. But, um, you know, the other day, the Tigers were first pitch swinging on everything. So, um, you know, there wasn't something he could, you know, he couldn't just, like, put meatballs over the, the heart of the plate if, if Detroit is, is swinging everything on the first pitch. So there's, it's a game of adjustment. I guess people now are sort of saying, you know what, I'm going to sit change because I think that you can't find the plate with your fastball. Before it was probably your fastball is so fast, I got I to gotta sit fastball. I mean, I got to, like, you know, try to hit the fastball, and then, oh, my God, it's a changeup, and, I you know, I can't stop my swing. So you know it's a little bit of an adjustment game. So now they're they're asking him to prove that he can locate with the fastball, um, and uh, if he can't, then then he can't. But I I think he can. I I I th- I still like him, and I would not drop him, and I, I would pick him up off the wire. And I still believe in him. And and I the changeup is still great. And um, I just have to think the fastball is the most easily controlled pitch in baseball. If you can't control that, then you
1: know, you're in trouble. Yeah, but Tim Lincecum, to be fair, is a lot older. Uh, But just as bad as we've seen. (laughs) Uh, So, all right, so bottom line opinion for me on Jared Parker is preseason, I thought he was pretty overvalued, and uh, I I wasn't very bullish on his season this year. I didn't think he had much value in 12-team mixed leagues. So do I think he's going to rebound? Of course, he's not going to have an ERA over 10. I think he's going to post an ERA near four for the rest of the year, which is you know what I projected preseason, which I don't think makes him worth much, if anything, in 12-team mixed leagues. So if he was dropped in your league, do you take a shot? If it's a keeper, yeah, you might as well. If you have somebody clearly worth cutting, sure, take a shot. But I don't think he'll be worth much in 12-team mixed leagues. However, in an AL-only league or maybe like a 20-team mixed league, I do think he's a pretty decent buy low because he's going to have value in those leagues. I, I, I think that him getting dropped in many leagues means that his owners are probably uh, getting a little antsy here and you might be able to pick him up at a discount. But it has to be a big discount given the fact that I think he was overvalued to begin with. So I, do you agree, Eno, you know, that he probably won't have much value in mixed leagues or, or do you, are you more bullish –
0: uh, I'm, I'm more bullish than that. I mean, last year he had the 20th best uh, swinging strike rate among uh, amongst qualified starters. So, you know, I I, I think that he was uh, underperforming in the strikeout rate last year. Um, of course, he's got that same swinging strike rate this year and everything else has fallen apart. But uh, I I have more confidence in him than that. I think that he's definitely rosterable in,
1: in mixers. Yeah, okay. I, I, I want to move on to our last topic of the day. And I, I hate to talk about him because... I feel like we've talked to death about him in the preseason, but I have to bring him up. It's Mike Trout. He's got a combined one home, or two home runs and stolen bases. He's got one home run, one stolen base, 60 at-bats in. So again, prorate that or extrapolate to 600 at-bats, that's a 10-10 season. That's obviously not what anybody was expecting for Trout. And now, I see, he's somebody that I actually looked at his stats in the minor leagues and And you think, huh, is he really the ultimate by law? Because I would be afraid of buying low based on how far he might actually fall given his minor league stats. Because I didn't remember his minor league stats, and I'm sure most didn't. He wasn't amazing in the minors. He showed a nice combination of, you know, he had some power, excellent speed. But last year was so out of nowhere that Ron Chandler may have very well been onto something. And talking about ignore last year, don't use that as your, you know, most heavy weighting. So uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, is he somebody to buy low or are you kind of nervous that maybe last year he's not going to come anywhere close to it? Uh, you know, my,
0: I came up with a worst case uh, for myself. Um, that was like 290, 2040. And I, I've seen no reason he can't hit that. I mean, he, he has one homer, but he has a 183 ISO, which is uh, that, that isolated slugging percentage is better than average. It's, it's, it's uh, pretty decent, actually. Uh, and that 183 would fit even in his bad years in the minors. So um, he has power. I'm not sure. I think the 30 uh, home runs was kind of a big deal. And that might, it might turn out to be uh, one of the, his best years in terms of power, uh, home run power output. Um, but uh, see him fly around the bases, you don't think he's going to steal 35, 40? Well, I mean, the
1: question is, yeah, he's only only attempted one steal, which is quite surprising for a guy who attempted 54 steals last year, was only caught five times. So not only is he fast, but he's a really, really good base stealer. And kind of like Carlos Beltran, who's always been fantastic at not getting caught. So you would think that he'd at least attempt more steals. And he came into spring training, uh, you know, heavier than many expected and that was a big story so it kind of validates i mean people are probably thinking now oh we came into spring training heavier than we thought and look at that he's only attempted one steal and and that you know raises the eyebrow and to think maybe we're seeing validation here that his speed is slow this year and maybe he's only a 20 25 stolen base guy yeah i mean
0: then you're talking about a 290 20 30 guy? I mean, is that so terrible?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically what it comes down to is every downside that we might think still makes him one of the top fantasy players. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which, is, which is why having a power-speed combination is so great yeah. in fantasy baseball because you do both. And so you really have a floor uh, on your fantasy value. Yeah, so- it
0: really is. I mean, I think – so let's say he does 290 20, 30. Um, I mean, you can't if you're gonna try and sell sell low, um, you might you might get bit in the butt because you might sell him for less than that, um, you know right now, and uh, so you just gotta hold on. The one thing I guess you know the reason he would steal 30 instead of you know try to steal 54 again is um, maybe he's moved in the batting order. Is he down to down to like number three in the batting
1: order now? He's number two now with Eric Ibar uh, injured. I assume when ibar comes back i don't remember when that is i don't own ibar in any league so i haven't paid attention to him but when he comes back he'll probably be hitting second again with trout back to the uh number one leadoff spot so that's probably- i think i mean i i don't there's
0: not a real reason for him to stop stealing I, I mean pujols is hitting better maybe they're just getting into more situations where they'd rather pujols hit away than uh than trout be running on the base paths. uh i mean you know i i feel like uh the speed is real. I mean, he stole 45 in a ball. Uh, he stole 56 over the course of 2010, stole 30, uh, so sort of 40 across 2011. Uh, and even last year, he stole 55 and all. So yeah, I I believe in his speed. And, um, you know, 183 ISO is nothing to shake a stick at. So, uh, I mean, it's something to shake a, a baseball bat at. But.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just feel like just given all the question marks and all the, um, you know criticisms of trout before the season started with everybody you know jumping on the always oh, it'd be a bust train this year. I think this somewhat slow start people are kind of thinking they're validated now, and so maybe that means you can kind of get him at a, a discount and I think it's worth it i mean t- it, we're still only two and a half weeks in the sample size remains small. I'm gonna give it at least two months before. I claim that the the pessimists were correct on Trout. So I say go, <laughs> go buy low on Mike Trout.
0: And you then- know what I would do? I actually just thought of this. Um, if I was a Kemp owner, I would absolutely um, offer something like Kemp and, you know, maybe one of my late round pitchers that worked out. That I that's a little bit extra. You know, maybe a sell high pitcher plus Matt Kemp that's or Mike Trout.
1: Now we get in a whole another tangent. We could have another half hour show about. That. <laughs> but I just worry about Kemp because
0: of his shoulder surgery. Yes,
1: absolutely agree. I worry about Kemp too, so he's not a buy low for me uh, at this point. But we got to wrap it up. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on the sleeper and the bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks again.